Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Welcome to the Osher Ginsburg podcast. I'm Osher Ginsburg. Thank you for being here. Thank you for being a part of the show. Thank you for downloading this and spending your time with me today. Um, I'm grateful you could be here. If you're new, please subscribe. There's plenty of other episodes. Um, only the last 50 appear, though, in the iTunes or the RSS feed. So um, you can get the rest online at osherginsburg.com. Thank you so much for being here. I've got a great guest today. Her name is Liu Yan. Liu Yan, she is uh, Chinese, she's a Chinese entrepreneur, businesswoman, very, very interesting chat about life in China, um, business in China, and what the future may hold um, as we barrel towards um, that as a, as a future. Please uh, do subscribe to the show. Um, it means a lot to the show if you comment and rate the show in the iTunes store, and I would ask that if it's for you, please just tweet out a link or Facebook link or just tell a friend about the show. That would be amazing. Thanks for everybody that sent great feedback about the Brendan McLean episode. It was super fun. I tried to find the rest of that file. It's gone. So um, he and I might have to do a part two. I haven't done any part twos yet. I haven't had any return guests yet. So that might have to start happening. Um, but yeah, you can send me an email. Send osher email at gmail.com. 
And oh, while I'm here, uh, the other podcast that I do with Natalia Perez is back. Uh, Let Me Tell You Something is a fun show that she and I do together. You can find that in you know, use your favorite podcast listening app, and you can find us. You can find us there. How was your week? What did you get up to? Did you have a good one? Thanks to everybody that wrote through the week. It's always very nice. I um, very conveniently ignored my body's stress reactions, which is always fun, but I can only ignore my body's stress reactions for so long until my body goes, hey, you know what? Um, screw you. This energy is going to get out of here somehow. So then comes the eczema. Then comes the cold sore. Sorry. It sucks to talk about it, but y- you know. And, and I had a date that I was really excited about too. And I got a cold sore, so there was no patching. Uh, yeah, so it's kind of interesting. I can fool my body to try and fool my body into thinking I'm okay, but when I'm super stressed, that energy comes out of my body somehow, just comes out somehow. And this week it was a uh, cold sore and some eczema, so it's kind of gross to talk about, but I guess it's a it's a bit of a clue, right? It's a bit of a clue when you... Uh, when you start breaking out and that stuff, but you may have to pull up on the reins a little bit. Speaking of which, I went horse riding this week. It was really fun up in the Malibu Mountains. That was really good. Yoga was good. Yoga helped this week. That was important. And also, I saw my guy. I like seeing my guy. My guy's a good guy. And I got, um, we kind of got down to the nitty gritty a bit. Um, one of the, you know, when I say my guy, I mean one of the many mental health professionals that I, keep on stuff <laughs> to help me get through the day. Uh, and I got an interesting, I got a, like a more precise diagnosis. Um, I got a more precise diagnosis into what's actually going on with me. So uh, that helps because when there's more precise, I guess you, you're able to identify it and go, oh, that's just that thing. That's just that thing happening. That's all it is. And uh, I guess, you know, try and move on, try and move past it for that. Anyway, so that's what happened this week. Um, let me tell you about my guest. She's amazing. She came and sat at my house. We recorded this in Sydney a few uh, a few months ago. Liu Yan. She is an entre- an entrepreneur that I met at school at uh, the Think School of uh, Creative Leadership in Amsterdam, where I've been going. She founded uh, the first major co-working space in China. She's also uh, the founder of AskLab.org, which is a hub of international co-creation. And she's currently working on the uh, China Australia Millennial Project Summit, uh, which is very exciting. Um, where they're taking a hundred young entrepreneurs and thought leaders from Australia, and a hundred young entrepreneurs and thought leaders from China, putting them together and getting them to work together on a project, and have a chance to pitch that project and hopefully have that project come into fruition. That's happening as a part of the Vivid Festival next year in Sydney, and you can find out more information AustraliaChina.org. So if you or someone you know you think would be real interested in that, it's it's an amazing project. Um, AustraliaChina.org is where the rest of the uh, information is. But if you're a young person uh, who's a, th- a bit of a thinker um, or, you know, interested in I – mean, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, you know, you think about what brings the world together. It's it's working on things together is what brings any of us together. And – you know, this it's a really important when she told me about the project, I got really excited about it and I thought what what more what better way could there be to uh bring our two countries closer together? She's an interesting woman. Uh I, I gotta tell you straight up off the bat, I know a lot of people listening know far more about this, but I don't know enough about China. 
In fact, I say this in the show, I, after an hour of talking to her, I knew less about China than when I started talking to her. So um, she was staying with me. She and her son were staying in my house. And this chat, I guess, was a chance for me to meet someone who, who lives and works in China. She actually moved away. She moved to the Netherlands. Then she moved back. And just that conversation, she, through our conversation, she gave me just like a tiny glimpse of what not only life is like in China and what business is like in China and how China views the rest of the world, but what the next few years might look like, years that will have China, this enormous economic powerhouse, kind of at the heart of leading the way in global efforts to deal with humanity's pressure on our planet. Um, it really feels like that's where the breakthroughs will come. And uh, because the stakes are really high, I mean, she tells talks about this in the show. She's got six air purifiers in her house in Shanghai. So you want to talk about motivation to change, there's certainly a lot of it. But um, I really i am grateful for this conversation because, like I said, it was the first time I'd ever had a real chance to have a great conversation with someone from China about what life day-to-day life is like in China. I didn't, honestly, I didn't know enough about it. I, I know less now, but I'm really grateful to share this with you. Um, if you like the sound of Liu Yan and you want a chance to maybe work with her more or indeed collaborate on a project with someone from China as a part of the Vivid Festival next year in Sydney, um, if you are Australian or if you're from China, australiachina.org is the website. But uh Enjoy this chat. There's some really eye-opening insights here. Hello, Yang. Hi. How are you? Good. Here we are in my house. I'm glad. I'm glad you're here. <laughs> Thank you this for is... hosting me. Oh, oh look, I'm, I'm terrible because I haven't offered you enough food. I don't have enough food for you, so I feel <laughs> I feel terrible. Um, but I'm, me. I'm, I'm grateful we can talk uh, because you have a, a really interesting story and uh, you're here in Sydney. Um, you've been speaking at the Vivid Festival, which is a big, um, I guess, what would you call it? Like a creative thought festival. How would you describe that? Um, I think they have two parts. One is very much uh, towards um, showing uh, like, uh, artists' work mm-hmm. like music and lighting installations and new media yeah. art work. Um, the other one is more uh, focusing on discussion, idea mm-hmm. exchange. So yeah, called it a vivid idea. Yeah. yeah, and that's the part of the. That's the part of the thing that I'm part. But, yeah, and you I'm were part of, you were invited. Yeah. You you flew down here from Shanghai, and um, you you gave a speech. You, uh, you you gave a talk. You ran a workshop. Uh, which is really exciting. Um, so I'm really interested to talk to you today because you have a really a really fascinating story, um, and partly because you were in China, you left China, and you came back to China, um, and you started. Even though you don't do it anymore, you started the very first uh, co-working space in China, That's which right. went on to massive success. Which I'm I'm kind of fascinated about about that and about how entrepreneurship differs between the cultures and how it's the same. So mm. I'd, I'd like to I'd like to talk about that as well. But um, I guess the first thing I'd I'd like to talk about is like um, how how did you come to be this person that is <laughs> you know I, I don't I don't but like one of the leaders of the startup scene in in the biggest country in the world. Like how did you come to this person? <laughs> well, to be quite honest, it's not so 
difficult to be um, the first one uh, in the country, a uh, country where um, there are plenty of opportunity mm-hmm. um, uh, for everyone. It's built up like uh, the Wild West, uh, the where wh- whatever you dare to dream, um, and uh, you you will be the first one to make happen. Um, so uh, it is a huge country, um, but I have to say um, there's comparing to the rest of the world in, in terms of creativity and uh, entrepreneurship, and uh, it's still catching up. Mm-hmm. So um, coming back from like seven years living in the Netherlands, I I, I put my fear, pre, pre, sorry, my previous work has a lot to do with mixing uh, artists with technologists and with designers and urban planners. So that was a really exciting period of time. Mm-hmm. It wasn't even my idea of coming back to China. It was my husband who was like crying to <laughs> continue his career, you know, with you know, really interesting opportunities and challenge mm-hmm. um, in China. So I went back because it was, you know, it was my home country. And I did a lot of projects with Chinese artists and Chinese organizations. And I was invited to to actually give lectures at some of the Chinese universities. So uh, I wouldn't have any problem if I re-established myself mm-hmm. um, in China. So I just, um, you know, uh, went with the flow. Um, so we moved back to China in 2007 and, uh, um, you know, naturally you just want to continue whatever you've been doing. And, uh, I was in the middle of setting up myself as a PhD researcher. And, uh, my topic was really about how bottom up, um, creative, uh, could change the landscape like China. Uh, you know, it wasn't, you know, it was kind of my um, uh, assumption that uh, in, in the creative and cultural industry of China, um, there is still a lot of top-down approach and uh, the government is building infrastructures and they are giving subsidies and they um, actually a lot of support uh, for people to uh, to set up creative industry, creative enterprises. But really that that true authenticity and creativity come from uh, bottom up. That was my belief and I want to test it. And so uh, the whole PhD research started with, uh, you know, some experiments of gathering people from all these fields uh, I used to work with um, and uh, to see what, uh, uh, what they will, you know, they will come out with. And I showcased uh, a lot of very uh, controversial and very interesting international art projects in Shanghai and after half a year of uh, eight months time, um, people was, was so much in, dragged into it and mm-hmm. people start to look at arts um, as uh, something completely different. So um, I, I was so inspired and I, I, I thought maybe there's something I can just continue doing instead mm-hmm. of just doing a bit of uh, experimentation for my PhD thesis. So I quit my PhD and I became an entrepreneur. <laughs> <laughs> Quitting is, uh, yeah, I've done it. Uh, it's one of the best things I ever did uh, <laughs> is to quit university. I've quit, I've quit jobs. Uh, it's, it's such a stigma sometimes about, about quitting. But that's, sometimes it's a, it's a really good idea. That takes some, quite some courage. Hmm. I, I didn't dare to quit you know, university, although I hate it. I hated it. Didn't, I, I studied English literature. It wasn't even my choice. Um, I just ended up being there and I didn't have a gut to quit. (laughs) (laughs) So what did, when you were a little girl, what did you want to be when you grew up? Um, I wanted to be a shop assistant so you can count the money all the time. (laughs) (laughs) 
I just love the, <laughs> the the way you know you kind of trade goods and with money and everything. But uh, actually, uh, seriously, I wanted to become a journalist. Mm-hmm. I, I think uh, it was really my dream job because I was extreme, uh, extremely good at writing, mm-hmm. um, and uh, uh, I love literatures and I. I was one of the best in the school uh, in terms of writing, speaking skills. And I uh, I had a very kind of, you know, um, uh, rebellion spirits and I look at things in very critical eyes. So I, I think, you know, if I could be nurturing in a way that it's, it, can, it could be and I would become a very good journalist. But, um, you know, things always turn out to be quite different. <laughs> Hang on, but you did work in broadcasting for some time, didn't you? Uh, it was more a hobby, and, oh, okay. you know. And I, I worked at the a station called Chinese uh, Chinese Radio Amsterdam. Okay, um, it was purely like serving the community of um, uh, Chinese Mandarin speakers in in Holland. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Chinese or um, uh, this radio assembled actually pure for the um, uh, immigrants uh, who used to, who are still working in the Chinese restaurants because they didn't really have too much life um, rather than washing the dishes and walk, walking in the restaurants. So mm-hmm. we're just a bunch of uh, kids who thought, you know, maybe we can just also uh, host a show for for those people who uh, just wash dishes and they can listen to the radio at the same time. So the whole program was set up just um, uh, in a, in a Cantonese language. Um, and, uh, and later on, there are more and more Chinese coming to Holland who are like pe- people who are working on their master or PhD or postdoc and research and then decide to stay there. So like this kind of people, students, um, they also wanted to have a, their own channel of, you know, uh, exchange and mm-hmm. uh, communication so that then uh, there were some students, uh, you know, including myself, I was, uh, I was busy with my master. Um, and so we just, uh, you know, started to talk about news happening in China, uh-huh. and helping some students who just come, come around and yeah. you know, set it up. Because yeah. we, you were... You were doing your master's in the Netherlands? Yeah, I did my okay. master. Yeah, it was a turning point of my life. So is it so <laughs> I really must stay state right at the start of this. I don't know enough about China. Mm. I really don't know enough about how it works. Mm. I don't know enough about what goes on there, what the real workings are. You know, I see I live in America, so my view of China is quite biased by them. Um, I'll never forget the day that China surpassed America as the largest um, purchaser of uh, automobiles in the world. And uh, the whole, all of the news people on the television were just like, uh, oh, hang on. <laughs> what do you mean we're not number one? Um, they just couldn't. Oh, my. <laughs> yeah, they couldn't believe it. They couldn't believe it. They couldn't believe it. And there's this real, you know, I get in America there's a, this might just be my perception and where I'm reading it from, but I do get, you know, that there's not quite ready to accept that there's this country that's over three times bigger than they are, mm. um, that is a much larger market and, you know, that, that, that might be, as far as the world's concerned, possibly more important. Uh, <laughs> I'm not really sure uh, to be the biggest purchaser uh, of motor- automobile is something I can, we can be all proud of. Well, I guess, you know, what I'm saying is like you've got over a billion people that all move in the in a similar direction all at once. It affects the rest of the world. Uh, absolutely. Okay. 
so for example, um, for example, the I think there's a mandate that if a new cars because of the pollution, which we'll talk about later, mm. the new cars have to have a certain engine capacity or lower. Mm. So like 1.3 liters or something. They can't be bigger than than that. And so you can't get cars that are 1.5 liters of the certain make and model outside because mm. it's too expensive to make a different engine for Europe. Mm. So they make the same engine for the whole world because China made a mandate, and that's it. Okay, that's what we're getting now. Right. And so, so for those, I, I might not be correct with the numbers, but I, I know that that, you know, uh, and I won't say which auto manufacturers, but, you know, things like that, that a policy decision within China has affected the rest of the world. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Quite, quite easily. And, you know, you know, it's a country like I was in Target uh, two days ago. Yeah. It's got 90% of everything in that store is made in China. Right. And it just blows my mind. <laughs> it blows my mind that this country that, provides so many goods, the clothing, the cups, the sauces, the, the everything, the, my phones, everything. I know little, so little about. I feel kind of ashamed to tell you that I don't <laughs> know so much about your country. Well, you're not the only one. I think the majority of people in the West, and um, they know very little about China. Right. And China has a quite, I have, I have to say, quite a negative image in many people's minds. Yeah? Yeah. I mean, after living seven years in Netherlands, I know everything about it. <laughs> yeah. So what when because what we're told is that well, one thing we that there's the, the great firewall of China that yeah. the the internet is incredibly regulated, mm-hmm. uh, and there's you know massive amounts of investment and thousands and thousands of employees that yeah. that, that, that delete everything and shut everything down. Yeah. Was it difficult? Because I'd like to, I'm interested to know was it difficult for you to get out of the country to go and study in the Netherlands. And so let's, let me start with that. Was that difficult or was it okay? It was okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, going abroad is becoming easier and easier for okay. anybody to study or work or mm-hmm. live. Um, so, and I just saw the news today. There are thousands of people, new applications from China. Um, like people want, wish to immigrate to uh, Canada uh-huh. where the air is cleaner. So, um, um, and uh, this is becoming almost like a, a phenomenon, like people who have the money, they want to uh, choose where they live. And yeah. So they just get out of the country. So when you left China, when you were out of that kind of bubble, were you aware that your news was, you know, you might weren't getting told the whole story? Were you aware of this kind of thing when you were living? Um, not at all. At no? that time, internet wasn't that uh, massive in yeah. 2000. So uh, I... I I just got to know uh, Hotmail you know, yeah. for a couple of years oh, and, yeah. and uh, there were not too much content on the internet either. So yeah. it wasn't really something that you, you know, would be blown up. So when with. you left, yeah. when you got into Europe for the first time, what was the most surprising thing you learned about your country or how people looked at your country? Um, well, that's a good, good question. Well, of course, all the stereotype I just described um, uh, about uh you know, um, suffer from all this, uh, like lack of, uh, freedom, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. And people ask me how I felt about those things. And I felt like, wow, there was quite a discussion going on. And even one time, uh, I watched, I saw on the TV, uh, you know, in, um, Netherlands, you have this tradition, uh, tradition of celebrating Sinterklaas. That's kind of different version mm-hmm. of, uh, Santa. Mm, Christmas and, time, yeah. And uh, uh, he was always followed by his um, uh, servant um, mm-hmm. and Zwarte Piet, Black Pete. And the one one year, uh, it was b- before Beijing Olympic Games, um, this 
um, there are several Swat Peats. Uh, there was one, uh, they called it Hof Peats, uh, the, the chief Peat. Um, he actually protested um, and that he, um, he didn't want the uh, national team of Netherlands join the uh, Beijing Olympic Games. So he had a whole debate with um, the, uh, the person who was leading that, uh, the team. I was completely amazed. I was so shocked to, to see how, how kind of strong emotion people have against China. Mm. Um, I, I followed the whole talk show. I was completely blown up, yeah. <laughs> you know, about this anger mm. uh, among the Western society towards China. So yeah, it was quite a mind blowing. Right. <laughs> Because I only, I mean, we're recording this um, at the start of June and it was only uh, yesterday. Mm. It was the 25th anniversary of the Tiananmen Square. Mm. Um, and we're the same age. So I, remember I was in high school mm. and it happened. And I'm guessing we learned. How did you learn about it? Do you remember that day? Yeah, it was broadcasted everywhere on, yeah. the, on the news, on TV. You don't see any other program but this. How did they cover the events leading up to that day? Well, there was a lot of, uh, um, definitely a lot of death and injury and a uh, really terrible scene. You know, they've been showing um, how many uh, soldiers have been attacked. Uh-huh. Um, and So they're covering it from that angle? Yeah. Like the soldiers are getting hurt? Yeah, uh, okay. yeah, yeah. Here it was the students are getting hurt? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. Oh, it's interesting. <laughs> no, it's, look, it's interesting. It's all how you tell the story, you know? Absolutely, yeah. That's fascinating. Yeah, That's I guess both sides are hurt really badly. Yeah, yeah it end up being a really big fight. But it, you know, China really, from my from my perception, I guess maybe I'd never really paid much attention before. But it seems that China really changed a lot after that. Mm, in a way, or, or was it already changing? I think the uh, economically, I guess. Yeah, economically is changing really fast, mm. um, but politically, uh, it's progressing. Mm-hmm. It's progressing, but uh, not as fast as you would expect to be. Yeah. Um, but um, the, the current government, uh, I would I have seen something quite uh, progressive. Yeah. Um, towards um, corruption, uh-huh. towards um, uh, like um, a lot of um, you know things in the society which uh, we we you know we. Think yeah, the Americans is- love to report about corruption yeah. in China. Oh yeah, so they yeah. love. They don't like to report about corruption in their Anti-corruption. own government. <laughs> they don't like to report too much about corruption in their own government. You know? <laughs> like that that Stanford study uh, that came out um, uh, like a month ago with Stanford and Northwestern University or Princeton, Princeton and Northwestern mm-hmm. University um, came out with a, a, a study that comp- comprehensively proved. From they studied foreign policy between 1982 and 2002, mm-hmm. and I said, no, 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 the U.S. isn't a democracy; it's an oligarchy. <laughs> okay. It's run by the it's run by the wealthy and powerful. <laughs> right? It's like, like we already kind of knew it. Yeah. But it said, like, every time that there was a business interest in the policy change, right? Um, like 47 or something, 60 percent of the time or whatever, it went that way. Yeah. And. Uh, uh, the other way from what the people voted. Yeah. It's like, it's just nuts. I, I must say I was quite amazed by um, uh, how the uh, democracy was organized in the uh, Netherlands. Yeah. Um, um, I, I, I quit my Chinese citizenship uh, several, after several years living in the Netherlands um, just, 
you know, for my personal reason. Uh-huh. And uh, I joined uh, a Dutch citizenship. So I was part of the, you know, voting system. So you could vote, yeah. Yeah, I could vote. So it was actually my first time yeah. voting for the government. It was quite something. Yeah. Yeah, I, I remember I just couldn't make any choice. And I've been following the whole debates. Um, you know, they, there are a lot of debates and Holland's all, all about debates. Um, and there's so many parties to vote yeah. for. Yeah. I remember I just, finally I chose uh, the party for the animals, <laughs> which were led by a group of women. <laughs> I um I I I told the um, you know, decision um uh, I told my my family in law about my decision of voting for this party they just laughed <laughs> they they would just laugh at me and you know of being a very inexperienced voter uh-huh. <laughs> and uh, uh but I said I'm gonna just insist on this and uh, I don't want to just vote for the mainstream party um. So I'm gonna just give a go, um, and then, like after, and uh, they they did get a seat in parliament and one seat, um, and after a month or so, and the, their own party crashed. Huh. <laughs> They're just kind of yeah. Lefties, of- lefties have a hard time keeping it together. <laughs> it's a real tragedy. <laughs> Righties can really, really organize. Yeah. Lefties, oh, we should, I want a cup of tea. We should vote on what kind of tea we have. Come on, man. Yeah. So what did it feel like to vote for the first time? It was very special. Yeah. Yeah, very special. And you feel like you're part of uh, something. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. The decision of the country. I, I, I actually my favorite program uh, in Netherlands, um, which helped me a lot with my Dutch learning, language learning was watching uh, the debates. Ah. I've never seen debates, uh, like partic- political debates ever okay. before I left the China. Uh, left China. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, I, I thought it was such a, such a really nice way of, you know, discussing topics like related to every single person in the country. You know, I, my vocabulary just, you know, went all the way. <laughs> heaven forbid, <laughs> heaven forbid. <laughs> That you were to learn English coming well, here and watching political debates in our country because it's really, how do I describe it? Watching a political debate in Australia is a little like watching toddlers in suits <laughs> calling each other names and just basically saying, well, my dad's bigger than your dad. <laughs> They're not really talking about everyone in the country. Wow. But it's it's, it's kind of sad, actually. Okay. It's wow. a real... <laughs> It's a pity you watch these people, just these grown men and women just behaving so badly and wow. just being so self-righteous and it's just sad. Oh, that would be the very suitable for the English speaker to learn basic <laughs> English. Then. I disagree. It's not good at all. <laughs> so, so you returned to, to China and you started, you were, you were, as we mentioned before, we touched on this, you started the first, though you don't work there anymore, it was quite a landmark thing. You started the first co-working space in 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 China, what what are your thoughts on co-working spaces versus not a co-working space? Like, why is it such a, a valuable thing? So it just exploded. You said there's now sixteen or more yep. of these that, that you started, and there's so many people involved. You no longer know anybody. You used to know everybody personally, and now there's just hundreds and hundreds. Right? Yeah. Um- uh, when I started co-working space, uh, I didn't really know it was co-working space. Um, and, you know, I, I told you about this experimentation I, uh-huh. uh, I have done uh, of bringing people together. It was kind of in a 
meetup formats and uh, the space were um, uh, spaces were all kind of sponsored by museums, mm-hmm. festivals, and so I didn't really have to pay a thing, but I didn't really charge anything either. Um, but that community has um, grown into a really large number. Mm. Um, so I started to think about how I can help these people go further just by you know, meeting each other once a month. Uh, and so I really wanted to get involved uh, in some of the projects they've been working on already, uh, also. So this kind of uh, having your own space is like the first thing come naturally in your mind. And, you know, just have a place where people can meet anytime they want, mm-hmm. you know, work on some cool stuff together. I had some really good experience uh, back in uh, uh, time when I worked at uh, uh, art festival in uh, Rotterdam. So we kind of just assemble like every two years, and you know nobody really work in the office permanently, and uh, uh, you know everybody just you know come from all around the world and work together, inspire each other. So I, I really like that environment. I want to create the similar sort of environments um, for this kind of gathering. So that's how we actually started. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, if you want to uh, rent a, a space and it costs money, it costs a lot of money in Shanghai. So you kind of have to generate some cash um, to sustain that. Um, so I started to do a bit of research online. And uh, uh, there are already a few spaces happening you know, in the uh, U.S., and they call themselves co-working. And uh, I thought, wow, it's a really kind of model that will work uh, in our, our community. When people pay for membership and they come here to work and have meetings, have events. Um, so that, that's how it started. And so uh, uh, I think the, 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 the main drive for me to, to have this co-working center is to have a physical space where people can really look into each other's eyes and, and build trust and uh, share things. And uh, uh, find a way to uh, to inspire each other. Mm-hmm. So, um, and people often challenge me with uh, this concept by asking questions like, uh, "What if other people copy my idea?" You know, China has you know been quite famous for this copycat culture. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was like, "Okay, if you are afraid of being copied, and you know, don't share. If you don't share, and pe- people will not share things back to you." Um, so I just ignore all this, you know, uh, disbelief and I just went for it. And, you know, we organized so many events and so many ideas being shared during events. And people really saw the benefits of uh, connecting to other mindsets. And uh, there are so many great projects coming out of it. Um, and if you ask me uh, which specific project which will be, you know, um, uh, important to me, and uh, that was how uh, the first hacker space um, uh, has, you know, how, how grow out of this uh, our co-working space mm-hmm. and become, became an, another inspiration of another ten or fifteen hacker space in China, all over China. Right. So you know, we we became like this kind of breeding ground of ideas and you know collaborations. So that was how how whole co-working center started. Yeah. And uh, uh, yeah, and then later on, like a, year, a couple of years later, our space didn't really grow that much. Um, it remains a 300 something square meter, but our member uh, has grown uh, from a couple hundred all the way to 16,000. Hmm. So it's a really large community online, offline. And hmm. uh, uh, we didn't really set a barrier, uh, like you have to be a certain type of people to become a member. Uh, we believe that uh, people actually are self-selecting, and so, so, and we also don't want to set a kind of barrier that saying you have to pay a certain amount of money to become a member. 
um, everybody who has been in the space and attended events or hosted events uh, um, or worked here, had a meeting here, um, could become a member. So that's why we have such a large number okay. of membership. <laughs> right. So, um, you know, from the very beginning, I, I knew every single person and they mm -hmm. all know me. So that's how I became a celebrity in my own community. And they had a lot of, you know, questions and they asked me for connections. So I spent a lot of time, you know, helping them out. Yeah. But later on, I, you know, there are so many people. I just couldn't, you know, I couldn't, you know, mm. spend all my time helping them anymore. So you became out of... I guess kind of accidentally you, you became this super connector within the startup community. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I know so a lot of people who wanted to become a startup but don't have resource or um, courage to leave their current job. Um, so I, you have this kind of um, entrepreneurial type of people, but also you also have a much larger community who are supporting them. So, but they're not necessarily entrepreneurs and startups. Mm -hmm. uh, so we also attract a lot of, these type of people. So, right. Mm. What's the, uh, you know, the, the kind of model of entrepreneurship isn't quite what it, I mean, when I first learned what an entrepreneur was when I was a kid, it, you know, it was this guy with a ponytail and a convertible BMW <laughs> and, you know, and now it seems like that guy who's only in it for himself is becoming rarer and rarer and the person that's making a business plan or a company that, not only makes them money, but also helps the community mm -hmm. seems to be far more, uh, you know, not want to use the word popular, but just like far more prevalent. Mm. What's the state of social entrepreneurship, this kind of entrepreneurship? What's the state of social entrepreneurship in China? I think your definition for entrepreneurship um, is definitely uh, the essence um, but um, people often mistakenly um, think that entrepreneurship is about being a big businessman and uh, make as much m money as possible. And um, a lot of people uh, like actually challenge the concept of social entrepreneurship because they believe uh, entrepreneurship itself is social. Mm -hmm. um, um, but I prefer to call uh, uh, it, it such uh, it's a social entrepreneurship because I do want to differentiate it from the the kind of mistakenly thought the mis like entrepreneurship, but just mm. profit-driven mm. uh, um, money-making activities. Uh, I think it's social entrepreneurship has um, uh, a long way to go in China. And firstly, uh, people believe uh, uh, being social business, uh, you should not make money. That is not only in China, it's actually quite, quite worldwide thing. Um, and secondly, um, uh, this there is a, like, Traditional um, getting engaged with charity um, and um, like getting engaged with good cows and um, but to connect it with business um, activities just just very difficult to to be understood mm -hmm. um, and uh, right now uh, I think worldwide there is a de even debates what the social entrepreneurship um, uh, should be defined mm -hmm. and. Uh, uh, in my mind, uh, I think the definition uh, should should focus on um, the vision of the uh, the founder, uh, how the business started, um, how consistent uh, is the business goal aligned with uh, their social goal, and also how much they have have contributed to the community they want to serve. Right. So, um, um, so with this kind of uh, concept in mind, and I think it's easier. Because we were, you're staying in my house. We were talking this morning over breakfast <laughs> um, that 
it, it just that the culture that exists in China is not so much of the self first. Mm-hmm. It's the 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 what is the, the community. Yeah, collective thinking. The collective first, and it's that's it's part of the culture, and it goes mm. back. You said it goes back a long way, right. and I, 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 would, I, would, I would like it if you could kind of explain basically what we talked about this morning. Yeah, about how like here it's like well, you know, people cut cut cut, cut each other off in traffic. I rode my bicycle a long way this morning, and people cut me off. I'm on a bicycle in mm. the rain, mm-hmm. like yeah, like right. You know, there's so like it. I'm the important one. Like you nearly killed me mm-hmm. but it's more important that you get where you're going two seconds faster right you know it seems that so much in this culture we're like well as long as me and my family are okay right you know people tend to think less about the community at large with mm-hmm. their actions but yeah. from what you were discussing this morning it seems that's not quite the case uh, well i can tell you if you in you happen to be on the chinese road you're being killed a hundred <laughs> times okay then <laughs> well maybe not maybe that was a Sorry, bad analogy it's bad news <laughs> Even in my shiny jacket, <laughs> my Dayglow jacket, I don't have a hundred lives. I only have one. Um, yeah, that is uh, the scary part. If you uh, try to uh, bike on the Chinese road, on the traffic, um, especially cars, are extremely aggressive. Mm-hmm. They don't give away to uh, to people like us, right? Because <laughs> you ride your bike to work as yes. well. All right, which we'll talk about. But I was wondering if you could just kind of talk a little about that collective mind yeah. and, and the tradition behind that and how it affects, say, like, I don't know, like a 22-year-old woman who's starting a business now. Yeah. It might sound very, um, like, almost like conflicting. Um, but China, in China, um, there is a kind of collective thinking. But When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. It's very much about um, your own family. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, China is a very family-focused uh, uh, nation. And uh, so everything, uh, even this whole Guanxi like, network is very much between... I don't know what that is. Guanxi is kind of, you know, becoming almost like every MBA school, <laughs> like material. And it, it, it's uh, this network, um, uh, um, um, like the tie uh, between uh, individuals and families. Mm-hmm. So in order to do anything, you have to have a very strong Guanxi uh, network um, and to be connected to the, you know, the most influential person. Oh, okay. So I need someone to paint my house. Mm-hmm. Oh, my uncle's brother's son's friend will do it. And I ask them before I try and hire someone. 
that kind uh, of thing, or I'm trying to start a new business. Um, I'll ask the person. No, it's more like um, um, you have a million dollar to uh, get a school uh, built. Mm-hmm. Um, you would just ask uh, somebody from your family or your relative to do yeah. it, so you can pay them with this money, which doesn't really belong to you. Uh, uh, so it, it it often affiliate with a very negative. Uh, okay. You know, well, yeah, I guess we want to call that nepotism. Is it like nepotism? Is it? Is it? You know, it sounds like nepotism. Like, why did he get the job? Because oh, his dad's the. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Some you know close yeah. family of my yeah. mother or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, it's so, cool. We call it nepotism here, and it's 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 a ne- negative context. Yeah, it very is. much. Yeah. yeah, but still, you say like if you've got a good guanxi, yeah, then you're oh he's lucky he got born or she's lucky she got born into yeah this family with a good guanxi. Yeah, network. that's okay. right. Yeah. So I was you know I was also uh, you know uh, not not exceptional at all. I was uh, also part of this network with my parents and you know my grandparents, and um, I kind of hated. Because they kind of nail you down to a certain, uh, um, you know, a certain role that you expect they expect you to uh, to be. Mm-hmm. Um, so the first thing I did after I did um, my uni was uh, just escape from my family network as far as possible. Yeah. <laughs> so they couldn't do anything about you know uh, me changing my job or you know uh-huh. uh, finding husbands. So I didn't want to be belong to to that network. So, okay. Yeah, it was. Um, it's it's supportive to for people who you know don't have, don't know anybody and to is a starter, but uh, sometimes um, they um, there is a sub, sub like um, sub rules how you should behave and act in those kind of environments. Okay. So for a person like me, I'm I'm by natural quite rebellion. I don't want to be belong to a place where you know I was told what to do. Uh huh. Um, so, uh, yeah. Well, the same thing exists in, in the Western culture. You know, yeah. if you're born into a certain family, they're like, well, you got a maid. Yeah. You know, but if you're born into <laughs> another family, well, good luck, buddy. You know, the, same, <laughs> right. the same thing happens. It's interesting to see the, the parallel. But you, you were talking earlier this morning about, um, you know, where the loyalties started and how far back the loyalty to the, the, the state, if you will, yeah. goes. And it goes back thousands of years, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, I think it's really a generation thing. Yeah. Um, if I look at my parents' generation, um, my dad used to spend quite some time abroad with us. Um, and uh, the only TV channel he watched is uh, CCTV6. Um, There's a lot of program about the um, relationship with the, you know, uh, Taiwan and all these things. And um, and he just loved watching those programs. And uh, I was like, yeah, do you really have to watch this program all the time? And I, I but deep in my heart, I thought um, probably there is something about insecurity, mm-hmm. you know, as, as they grow up with this um, message in their head that the country is, um, uh, you know, you need to be loyal to your country. And so you need to be devoting your life and your your I don't know your family to a country, so they they kind of stick to that message. And you know if you say this is all wrong, you're being brainwashed. They will feel completely insecure. Mm. They don't know what to believe anymore. And it's like you completely throw out the Confucius value, mm-hmm. and people you know be completely paralyzed. Yeah. So I feel like he's watching all these programs because he feel like, okay, this is still there. 
you know, although there is a whole super China is becoming such a super capitalist country, and uh, you know, whole value has been changed, and but the the essence of you know how we see the world is still there. So he, I feel like he's it's probably comforting even you know for him to watch those programs. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, right. and but if I look at him and I. Like I'm, if I look at the young generation, who's like a millennium generation, they they do completely different things. How so? Mainly, they don't really watch TV anymore. They they kind of you know um, they go on internet and yeah. you know, mobile phone and all these things. Yeah. <laughs> and how do they feel? Do they feel uh, I'm I'm uh, you know part of the new generation of China, this country that's just a, a superpower economically can do anything or how do they how do they feel i think partly uh because they um they um a lot of kids or people live in the urban environments a lot of kids are, were born uh with a middle class family uh so they they have never experienced anything harsh in their life mm-hmm. um they they don't have to worry about where to get food and everything and a lot of kids even you know so laid back and after graduate from uni they just you know sleep on their dad couch for quite a period of time mm-hmm. without worrying where the food will come from. Okay. So, um, well, they, same here. Yeah, <laughs> same in Australia. They're very laid back and they're yeah. very individual um, and, you know, much more individualized than the, the previous generation uh-huh. like, 10, like 10 years ago. Um, so, um, yeah, I don't know if this, this is very different though. Every 10 yeah. years you will see completely different uh, yeah. mindsets. And so these, but this is the age group I'm guessing yeah. of the people that you see, particularly in your co-working space, also in your new uh, role with Ask Lab, um, you would see people who are early twenties. Um, what is different about them and, and what change they want to make in their own lives and in, in their country and in the world? Yeah, that, that, that is a very interesting question. Um, the, the way they see the world is that they don't have to follow a certain routine um, like, or follow certain expectation from, their, from their parents. And so they could pretty much choose the way they want to live. And uh, with the younger generation, another good aspect is there, uh, you see more and more of them are engaging with the volunteerism and uh, social projects. And uh, sometimes I had the illusion that I'm only surrounded by good people. <laughs> but uh, I also heard the same opinion from my colleagues and friends. And so I believe this is uh, something is happening. Yeah. So they, they do need uh, uh, almost like guidance and, you know, learning new skills and how to do that. Uh-huh. So I, I do see hope, and that's why um, I continue to to do what I want, whatever I have been doing. And uh, all these people who come to my space, and, and most of them just come because they have huge curiosity. You know, in China, if you go to China, you experience this. People always are so, so curious about everything. They want to learn, and especially in the big cities and um, probably also even some smaller cities. And they, when they see something new, everybody arrived. And I have never seen a longer queue and, uh, in front of art museum as in Shanghai. And just people just queue in the rain and like several hours to see an art exhibition for 15 minutes. And I have never seen things like this. Um, so, um, yeah, I think the, 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 the curiosity and the willingness of learning and uh, willingness of engaging uh, with the social causes, that is something quite promising. Yeah. And so the, the people that you're working with now at, at AskLab, the, the companies that they're, they're putting together, do they seem to have a more kind of social 
focus. So they seem to have a more like a focus of like, we're going to make some money, but we're also going to try and make it a bit better for everyone. Um, I, um, I started ASLAB last year with the, with the mindset of experimenting a different way of collaboration. Mm-hmm. Um, um, of course my preferred project would be very much like uh, with the society impact and everything but uh, I kind of have to experiment with all kinds of needs from my clients um, the first project was with Audi uh, they came up to me with a very simple um, like notion of finding talents um, they were just simply looking for a bunch of good coders and programmers and app developers and to help them to write some apps and I say, sorry, I'm a, I'm not a job agency, but I can turn and I can reframe this into something big. So I reframed it into a challenge, which is envision the future of automotive in China. <laughs> and, so good. And, and, and so in, in that way, we engage a couple hundreds of uh, young talents and submitting their ideas, uh, how they see um, the, 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 the world would be, uh, with the you know, future of the automotive and there are yeah, beautiful ideas and we selected like, uh, 50 of them and inviting them come for a pitch. And then, uh, during the pitch, we select another, like, uh, six top ideas and ask them to form teams and work on these ideas. And, and, um, actually during this process, uh, the vice presidents of strategy of Audi China, they, they like people, bunch of people like this, and product like manager, marketing managers, they were all involved. They were all invited to be involved in the co-creation process with yeah. these kids. Yeah. Um. So that at the end, there were two concept or chosen three, and they all got um, some funding from Audi. And I made it very clear, all these kids who spend time um, on this workshop, they have the full ownership of these ideas and not Audi. Um, if they're interested in, in its ideas, they can actually talk, you know, have a separate separate talk, how yeah. to, you know, uh, build this connection. So that was the first project. And, wow. and uh, the, first, um, the, 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 the top winner actually came out with a gaming concept that who will be the um, uh, fuel saving con- cha- champion or champion. something. Yeah. So it was very similar to Nike Plus. Yeah. Um, but, uh, um, you know, they, they kind of, you know, work with the engineer of Audi to, to teach people how to, uh, drive in a more, uh, fuel, con- um, like less economic way. Yeah. Economic yeah. way. Yeah. yeah. Cause people just don't realize how, how, how their driving behavior. I guess what, but though, just discussing the, just like talking me through that process, you've just, you know, you know, discuss it and, per- and explain in a perfect way what you do at Ask Lab by, uh, you know, bringing big companies and, and young entrepreneurs and creatives together right. to create something completely new that no yeah. one would have thought about that wouldn't be able to happen under any other way. Like there's no way Audi could have organized that, you know, <laughs> I can't do that. Yeah. I, I need very, someone like you to do it. Yeah. I was very much actually inspired by our school think. Yeah. You know, they, yeah, uh, we go to school together. You yeah. know, I would have said this at the introduction. <laughs> I would have told everybody that we did this in the introduction, uh, but yeah. Yeah, I can see. I can see how that worked. Yeah, and I um, I learned so many um, uh, skills uh, mm. out of our school, and uh, I wanted to um, in, directly use those skills and mm-hmm. help uh, those young people to cultivate their uh, creativity yeah. with those skills. So um, yeah, it was a very good uh, project to start with. And how has uh, it how has it looked in in China? Like uh, you know, in Australia, it's you looked at in a kind of different way if you try and start your own thing and it, and it doesn't work. Um, you know, we have a thing here called the tall poppy syndrome where mm-hmm. we try to, it's unfortunate, 
we we try and knock down people who achieve. Um, okay. I don't know why we do it, but we wow. do. Uh, in America, it's very different. Uh, people who try something and fail, they're like, get back up there, buddy. You can do it. Um, what's it like in China? What's the community view of someone who doesn't go take a factory job or doesn't go? What's the view of someone who tries to make their own path? Well, um, definitely failures are not encouraged mm-hmm. in China. And, they and happen to everyone. Yeah, yeah, I know. But the people will try to avoid it at all, no, uh, all costs. Yeah. And uh, entrepreneurship um, wasn't a couple of years back and people wouldn't even saw this as a serious job. It was just, you're just in between jobs. <laughs> you uh-huh. know? Um, and still, people still got discussing whether uh, it is wise for, uh, for kids who just left school to start entrepreneurial journey, you know, because they have no experience, they will make a lot of mistakes. And, but I mean, Come on, that's a part of the process, you know. Um, and they just try to avoid uh, failure. So this is kind of also uh, deep, deeply in our culture. Uh, we don't want to, to uh, make mistakes, and we want to keep our face always perfect. Oh, of course, of course. Yeah. yeah, that's a massive part of it, isn't <laughs> right, it? Right, right. So yeah. Um, yeah. How does that? Because you know, then you get guys like Eric. Uh, he wrote the Lean Startup. Yeah, Eric Weiss. Fail fast, fail early, yeah. fail cheap, fail often. Yeah, yeah. You know, you get this idea and, and, and you know, what we uh, learn in school, um, just iterate. If it fails, iterate. If it fails, iterate. Just yeah. keep going, keep going, yeah. keep going. How yeah. do you balance this, you know, the idea of just like you just got to keep getting it wrong until you get it right with this culture of I can never get it wrong so I, I have to save face. How, how do you talk to the kids about that? Um Wow, it's. Um, I think that this process is more about mentality rather than skills. Um, and still, I, I have a hard time to uh, really make people convince uh, you know convince people this is the way to achieve success. Uh-huh. Um, but um, uh, I think there are a lot of great examples like Apple. Um, you know, which everybody know how they actually succeed succeed mm-hmm. you know starting with something which is not perfect yeah and uh, you know uh, iterate along the way so um well they had a lot of brand excitement yeah. behind them i mean people lined that you talk about a long queue yeah i remember the first day people lined up around the block for a phone that couldn't copy and paste <laughs> iphone the iphone the first iphone couldn't copy and paste right all right yeah people still line up around the block for it yeah yeah you know yeah but, but they was apple so people yeah. went for it yeah, in terms of um, this um, skill, and you know, it's uh, in the design world, it's called the rapid prototyping. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we actually, um, interesting enough, um, this whole model actually can be traced um, in the uh, manufacturing industry in Shenzhen, where um, most of the electronics are uh, manufactured. Mm-hmm. And the rapid prototyping is pretty much the way how they work together. Um, so they. So everybody in those cluster of manufacturing base, they just focus on one thing. Um, so when, when um, this also whole, whole, how, why copy, uh, cat culture was so successful. So when they see uh, a product which is successful, like, okay, a iPhone, and they just um, disassemble them and study them closely. And within no time, it will be an, an, uh, a copycat, which is even like five times, 10 times cheaper in the market with uh, some very funny features, you know, satisfying a specific niche of the market. Mm. And then if that thing works out, 
and they probably produce more. If that doesn't work out, they will move on to the new features, mm-hmm. you know, based on their research or you know feedback from the market. So um, that actually that that kind of rapid prototype model actually inspired a lot of um, uh, uh, industry mm-hmm. um, and and fail really fast and you know. Uh, but they just produce very small quantity okay. and for special needs in each, and then they move they move on. Um, so I, I have to say uh, those kind of, uh, although we don't want to see failure, um, and those kind of working model um, already exists in okay. China. And, uh, but under the guise of like, we've already got the factory, we're just testing, it's okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But people who are working with you under your roof uh, at Ask Lab, they don't have a factory. <laughs> so, you know, we're just talking about 24-year-olds who are fresh out of university. Right. Um, so I guess it must be kind of difficult to, yeah, right to counsel them when their product startup, fails. I mean, Lean Startup model has been introduced worldwide and yeah. so a lot of kids are aware of this. And Eric they... Reese, Reese, it was with an R, Eric <laughs> Reese, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. So they can just show, show their CV and say, I've, I have failed like five startups. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's those most like uh, all the gold medals they, they can pin on yeah, their right. shirts. So uh, yeah, that's more, it's more now more and more uh, accepted. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, in China, there are so many opportunities and people people see the opportunity. And, and I mean, talking about opportunity, uh, I think... Once you're in, if you want to come to China to work in certain things, you have to really keep yourself focused uh-huh. because there are so many opportunities arriving every day. So those kids just couldn't wait to, to, to test the validation or, you know, they just jump on it mm-hmm. um, uh, without thinking too much what's, what will happen if it didn't work out. Um, you know, you just jump from idea to ideas. And I, I've seen... Um, in the most extreme case, an American kid, he, um, he speaks fluent Chinese, by the way, and he was working on eight projects, eight hmm. ideas at the same time. And he, uh, one of the ideas was uh, also kind of starting a co-working space. That was, for me, a more than full-time job. And he was like one of his eight projects. So um, people just got excited because China's just wild, you know. Um, and, you know, you can keep yourself so busy with everything. Uh-huh. Um, so there's no time to think about, oh, what if I fail? You, know, you just jump on it. <laughs> right. And, I, you know, I, I wonder, you know, what just the scale that is accessible to you, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, you, talk, you, you say you live in Shanghai, a mm-hmm. city of about 100 million yeah. people, yeah. five times the population of my country in right. one city. Yeah. You only have to have a tiny amount of, minimal amount yeah. of success. That's right. And you've got, you know, enough money to sustain yourself for another year yeah. of experimentation. Right. An iteration. Yeah. Which is pretty, pretty amazing. Yeah. Yeah. That's some, that's a beauty of um, um, doing something in China. Um, you know, uh, if you really work on something really cool, interesting, you can always create your own crowd, uh, just like at least a couple of thousands, you know, mm-hmm. you know, people love fresh stuff and, uh, something unique, uh, you can always, um, make everybody hurt. Um, so, so it's, it's an interesting place to be. Yeah. 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 Well, this which leads me on and. Um, you know, if, if people want to kind of want to know more about what you're doing, it's uh, it's asklab.org. Is that yeah, right? Asklab.org right. is yeah. where where you can find the find the website. But um, you know, what portion of the startups that are coming away? Because the, the startups that I'm kind of exposed to and, and most interested in are 
and seem to be getting the most traction in the states are ones that benefit the community and benefit the environment, at the, mm-hmm. like triple bottom line, people, planet, profit. Yeah. Um, do you see this kind of thing uh, trending at all or coming towards trending in, in China? Um, yeah, I mean, most of the tech, tech uh, uh, startup um, are focusing on technology. Mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, and even the area I am in, um, like social entrepreneurship, mm-hmm. I still uh, uh, wanted to support people who will have a potential to be scaled mm-hmm. rather than just, uh, you know, one mommy and daddy shop. <laughs> well, I guess what I'm asking about, like, do you see people wanting to begin something like, say, for example, um, uh, what, what, am I, what am I looking at? Uh, these, uh, these glasses. Right. All right. These are Warby Parker glasses. Yeah. Yeah. So when I buy this pair of glasses, right. a kid in India gets mm-hmm. a pair of glasses. I see. So it's still a company that makes a profit, but I buy these glasses rather than the other glasses mm-hmm. because I'd like to help, you know, I'd like my money to go somewhere yeah. that, that, that helps. So do you see these kind of companies uh, or, or companies that kind of are, are developing things for more sustainable future? No. No? Yeah, it's not there. Okay. It's Which is there, interesting yes. considering the environmental uh, conditions that you yeah. you tell me you live under. I've watched you twice today. Check your air quality app. <laughs> Can't believe you have an app. For, this is the thing, you know. People in Australia you've got to realize that there's a, there's an app that compares the air quality. Many kinds of apps. <laughs> yeah, compares the air quality, but it gives you two readouts. It gives you the official uh, air quality readout and the air quality readout from the device on top of the U.S. embassy. And sometimes they're two very different numbers. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but I noticed when you were looking for something in your your, your bag earlier, you pulled out a, a, mask. a, a face mask. Yeah. So, and, and, you know, when I asked you, you know, last night, you know, what, what, what is the most interesting issue in, in, in Shanghai? And you said clean water and clean food. And that just blows my mind. And clean air. Clean air. Yeah, clean air, <laughs> clean water, clean food. Uh, are people working towards trying to solve these issues? Yeah. The clean um the air quality has been uh, now i think the top uh, uh priority um in the government agenda mm-hmm. um and i i think the the central government even uh gave a very hard uh, almost like order every local government do anything mm-hmm. you know they give them uh so much freedom to test anything to make uh, uh to improve the air quality you know they um they, because it's it's really a serious issue right now um, and in terms of water and pollution, um, you know, the, we're a manufacturing country, and there, uh, besides the, the 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 legal manufacturing structures, you still have a illegal manufacturing structures. Um, so you can regulate all the manufacturing industry, um, you know, in a certain level, but there are still massive amount of illegal manufacturing. Mm-hmm. Um, they. I've seen on the news there was one one factory. Uh, I don't remember what they're producing, but they they actually hide themselves in a cave, uh-huh. and so the, the entire uh, water source for uh, uh, Hangzhou or like another major city has been completely uh, determined uh, uh, with the, that single factory. And uh, uh, when people just, you know, the police track them down, they just escape and left all the machinery in the cave. Huh. It was a very deep cave. How did they actually manage to set, set up a factory in that place it was remains a mystery. Yeah. 
So uh, yeah, you have you know China is big. You know yeah. there are lots of caves down there. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> but it's, it it does bring into mind you know what's the you know what's the true cost? You know we hear a lot about working conditions and factories. Uh, you know there's all these stories about Foxconn and things like this. Yeah. But you know what's the what's the price you pay for buying a pack of ten t-shirts for ten bucks? Yeah. The price you pay is that the air here in Australia is clean, mm. but there's kids, middle class kids like your middle class kids in, in in the suburbs of Australia that can't go outside to play mm-hmm. because the air quality is <laughs> like. Think about how bad the air's got to be, right, for you to not go outside to play. That's right, and that's how bad it is more it often is. than not. Yeah, and that's the price you pay for having you know a pack of ten plates. Or, or, you know, I don't even know what, like furniture and whatever else is, is manufactured there. Yeah. You asked me how uh, it feels to live in Shanghai. On one side, you feel excited that you're being part of something really big. It must big. be like Manhattan times a million. <laughs> it must like to be in that <laughs> robbing center of human energy. It must be unbelievable. I know. Um, but at the same time, you see your kids suffer. Uh, a lot of my friends, um, their kids suffer from asthma in right. a very young age, so they kind of have to leave the country. Um, and uh, so seeing my kids um, not being able to play outside and they they kind of have to lock themselves up in the classroom and at home and uh, have just playing games and, you know, a lot of electronics and, you know, connect with their friends through internet. Mm-hmm. It was just um, heartbroken. Yeah. And uh, uh, my older son used to uh, spend quite a lot of years in the Netherlands. And uh, until he was seven, he moved to China with us. And uh, he just lived outside all the time. He'd back around and mm-hmm. check out his friend's house. And his friend just came to us and, you know, without really calling each other, mm. you know. Um, but um, in China, it's just, it didn't just ha- didn't happen. Yeah. I sent kids outside when the weather is good. But they went outside to the playground and came back in five minutes and said there was nobody playing outside. Huh. And so, um, yeah, it's kind of um, sad. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, you, uh, uh, you know, and you were saying that, you know, people have five or six air purifiers in their home. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> you know, I mean, just trying to imagine that, whoever you're listening right now, just trying to imagine t- to have, t- to need five or six air purifiers inside your house so you can live there that is that's the price of 10 t-shirts for 10 bucks that's right that's that's the price of you know a hundred dollar uh smartphone yeah it's and are you prepared to pay that price you know that's a that it's it's an incredible challenge Mm. um and i get the feeling and i don't i don't know but i get the feeling that you know, the need to make, and you're already saying it's happening, the, the need to make vast environmental, environmentally driven uh, sustainability choices as mm. far as, you know, this is what we eat, this is how we get to work, this is where we live, this is where we get our power from, mm-hmm. will happen in China first right. because that's where the need is so great right. and so, so critical. Yeah. And, you know, it sucks to be uh, America because they want to be on the edge of the, you know, the leading edge of the cl- green energy or clean energy, but it, it won't happen there. It'll happen where kids are getting asthma right? Uh, just from playing soccer outside. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
and you know slowly you see um uh, i mean that's from also from where top down level yeah um China want to become a creative economy mm -hmm. and they don't want to live on this manufacturing economy forever, uh, for sure. And Chinese people are very creative and uh, um, they are one of the best uh, species on this planet and doing business. So mm. um, they, um, there are a lot of investment goes to uh, supporting education and supporting creativity mm. and entrepreneurship. And at the same time, um, and, uh, if you kind of... Uh, you know, where do all these people from uh, from a rural area? Where how do do they actually make a living? You know, um, the farmers are the uh, um, the population which suffers the most from uh, um, you know uh, a lot of things, and like they they are they they pretty much bonded to the land where they're mm -hmm. being given to, and uh, um, they're, bo they're born into the, yeah, they, you the cannot ownership. Yeah, yeah. And, and they don't really own the land, but they pretty much you know. They their their own food and all the money generated and they all come from their own land. Mm -hmm. So um, uh, they they don't they can't generate enough uh, income to support themselves. So they that's why they all rush to the city because there are so many opportunities out there. But if the global uh, consumption or uh, from China side is decreasing, and uh, where do these people go? Um, so um, I think from a government level, they're also taking like progress and encouraging farmer go back to uh, the mm. rural area and to, uh, uh, to become a farmer again. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and also uh, this kind of area is open up to anybody who want to become a farmer. Yeah, right. <laughs> and, uh, oh, um, and, and yesterday I also, you know, kind of uh, told Sean uh, about uh, the urbanization how this is impacting the rural population. Mm. And uh, there are a lot of initiatives uh, around to connect the rural urban population with the uh, urban population uh -huh. because sooner or uh, later, uh, some rural uh, people will become urban. Yeah. And uh, how do you actually help this kind of transition? And uh, that's always remains as a, as a question. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's fascinating. I really get the more and more, the more I, I speak with you and my one of my brothers does a lot of work there in mm -hmm. China, the more I see that, you know, just from sheer population size and and pressure on the on the people alone, so many of these critical issues that are facing us as a planet, where we get our food from, where we get our energy from, what do we do when all factories are robotic? Right. And what do we do with an enormous workforce that yeah, we don't have any skills to do anything else. That's right. Um, we'll all be led from from China. Yeah, because that's where it'll have the biggest impact first. Yeah, and that's where it seems the rest of the world will learn their lessons from. Yeah, um, which for some people might be really scary. Mm -hmm. You know. So what would you say to? How would you like people? You we we started. We'll wrap this up so we can go eat food. Um, we <laughs> we started when you were talking about you got to the Netherlands and you were quite shocked at people's attitudes. Uh, towards towards China, and I accept why they feel that way. I'm, I'm, you know, there's reasons we won't go into, but you know, I, I get why they would have felt that way, and I mm -hmm. get they were why they were angry, and yeah, I get why America feels threatened. Mm -hmm. You know, I I understand. Yeah. Um, what would you like people to know about what it's like to be one of you know to to be a, just a person <laughs> in China, and you know, one of the people that just I just hang out. You know, I go to dinner with my friends. I you know. Kids go to school. I make yeah. a living. 
Yeah, I mean, um, stereotype is something um, uh, nobody can avoid. Uh, yeah. We all have a stereotype about a culture which are, we're not familiar with, mm-hmm. and even the culture we're familiar with. Um, and uh, but um, I think not China represents uh, some kind of phenomenon uh, which is happening globally. Um, is the complexity of the challenge we're facing. You know, you can't just say it's black or white. It's actually a, a lot in between spaces. Um, if you take um, a step left, it has certain impacts on a population or society. And if, if you take a right step, another you know impact mm-hmm. will follow. So I think before you um, point finger to uh, someone or something, um, just think twice. And uh, there are a lot of uh, things uh, much more complex than you uh, you actually know. Um, and uh, politically, economically, culturally, socially. Um, I think we as a global citizen, we have this privilege to have uh, access to a different source of information. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, a lot of people who, who, even though they have this access and they they, they are their mindset is um, preoccupied by a certain assumption and, and beliefs, and those actually make the, their judgment completely go blind. So I think um, uh, if I have to, you know, summarize today's talk and you know just say being open-minded. Yeah. And uh, uh, you know the world is not always the way you see it. Well, it's it's <laughs> so easy to forget that. You know, here, I mean, Australia missed the recession that Mm. affected the rest of the world. Right. I was coming back and forth from America a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. And in America, people were selling their second car. They were getting a smaller, they were moving from a home into an apartment. Right. You know, um, (laughs) dad was working jobs at at, at a fast food restaurant so the kids could eat. And here people are, where are the car to Europe for the holidays? Let's buy a bigger TV, you know, because... There was at the time, China was like, let's build a massive city for 20 million people where there were fields mm-hmm. and we need iron ore and coal right. and we're going to buy it from Australia. Yeah. Um, so we know what China is in Australia, uh, you know, a bit. And like I said, I, I have been living out of the country. So, I'm, you know, my, my opinion is, is informed by someone who lives out of the country and observes the country through the lens of, of the news that I read outside the country quite a lot. Um, you know, that you know, oh, the mining boom is happening because China want iron and coal, mm-hmm. and that's pretty much where the conversation ends. <laughs> you know, exactly. that's pretty much what people know about China. Yeah, and that you know, and that's where our clothes come from. Yeah, but it's so easy to dehumanize. Uh, you know, it's like you said, it's over one billion people. Yeah. Um. From, and from what I'm, I might be mistaken, but. Unlike Australia, it's not a very multicultural society, is it? It's kind of all one. We have a dominant culture yeah. called Han. Yeah. And uh, they have another 56 different kind of minorities. Yeah. But Han is it's, it's, it's big, isn't it? Yeah. It's, uh, I don't remember percentage, but it's definitely the dominant culture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. So, uh, yeah. It's um, like for me, like I'm, 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 there's Czech, there's Lithuanian, you know, mm-hmm. there's, there's people from all different, there's a big mixture. Yeah. Uh, and in America, it's, you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of, of, of different combinations right. of, of races. Yeah. But in, in China, it's just, this is us. <laughs> We're all together. Right. It's, it's pretty amazing. Yeah. You know, so what I know is that 
after one hour of talking to you, I know less about China than, you know, because everything you've said, I'm like, oh, I need to know more about that. I need to find out more about that. I need to find out more and more and more and more and more. I have to go there. I have to smell this air. I have to taste the food. I have to drink the water. Probably not drink the water, as you said. Um, no, not the tap water. Not the tap. Don't drink the tap water. I need to walk around. I need to, I need to go. I need to kind of see it with my own eyes, yeah. I think. I think that's the, the next thing I really have to I, do. I read a story about a famous sinologist who has been studying entire life about China. Um, it was a famous quote from him, and he said uh, he spent so much time studying China. When he stepped um, into the soil of China, uh, he realized he knows quite a lot about China. Uh, after spending uh, decades, um, and he uh, left China, and he uh, said, uh, "I find out that I knew nothing about China." Huh. <laughs> so <laughs> that make you think about something. <laughs> it's a, such a complex country and society. I want to go. <laughs> I need to read. Come. I need to read more. I will feed you. I the know best of vegetarian food. I know. I need to read everything. <laughs> I need to read everything and I need to go there and see it with my own eyes because I need to experience it. This has been really good. Thank you so much for this. I'm really grateful you could share your... your your intelligence and your story with me. I really appreciate it a lot. Great. (laughs) Great. Let's go eat dinner. Okay. Yum, yum. (laughs) And that was Liu Yang. You can uh, follow her work at asklab.org and find out more about the uh, China Australia Millennial Project at us as at uh, what's the website AustraliaChina.org. Thanks so much for being a part of the show. Thank you for um, downloading it. Thank you for listening. Thanks for all the feedback. Thanks for all the tweets. That always does a wonderful thing for the show. If you're into the show, that's how you can support us. Uh, us, me. It's just me doing this. Um, and if you're in for something, uh, you know, a little different, yeah, check my other podcast to do with Natalia. Let me tell you something. Uh, you can find us in iTunes. This week, what would I ask of you? I'd just say do what I didn't do. Check your stress levels, team. Check your stress levels. Just kind of get a lid on it before <laughs> you bust out and face herpes like I did because uh, certainly puts a dampener on your dating life, as I found out this week. <laughs> All right, I'm off to eat some lysine. sleep well and dream of beautiful things my friends talk to you next week Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello, Fresh. 